Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Total Media Network's Dr. Christopher Hall Show. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Dr. Christopher Hall. Dr. Hall, how are you? I keep, you know, talking about thank you for your service. We're trying to hit you up on a week before you're kind of off as next week you head back. And uh, each day, new developments, isn't it? Especially with certain states opening up and different things. You're like, okay, what's happening here? And you're on that front lines, and hopefully you don't get over flooded with everything opened up. Wow. You know, you're totally right there. You know what I mean? And now I'm up here in Northwest Mississippi and of course, you know, I'm working in Alabama. So I'm at actually two different hospitals. So, uh, you know, we're starting to see that wave that was hitting the, the East coast starting to hit the South now. And, uh, so things are getting a little bit more difficult, but, um, we're always, uh, you know, uh, getting our support from God and, and, and staying very hope and working hard. So thanks for asking about that. All right, go ahead and introduce our guest. Well, no problem. Well, you know, I'm very excited uh, to have our guest today, who I think is a very inspirational figure, um, an individual who is a uh, actor who played uh, on HBO series Ballers, uh, who is a comedian and a very motivational figure. Um, I'd like to welcome to the show, Mr. London Brown. Welcome hey. to the show, London. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Hey, London. Thank you, man. Thank you for your service. Absolutely. It's amazing. He's one of those guys. He's a tremendous hero. I never thought when we met and started working together, doing this show together, that we would be in this situation where we knew he was a hero as a doctor already. But to be on the front lines, London, wouldn't you agree? Wow. You know, with what's happening. Absolutely, man. Tremendous sacrifice, for sure. And how are you holding up during the pandemic? How are you holding up with the pandemic, London? You know, man, um, honestly, I'm, I'm laying low. I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, again, follow the play by the rules and, and, and do my part and, 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 you know, keep myself masked up and, and different things like that. So I'm, I'm laying low, but I'm okay. Oh, that's good. That's good. And, and, and again, L.A., I heard that L.A. starting to open up, so that's surprising. But go ahead, uh, Dr. Hall, with your first question. Oh, well, no problem. No problem at all. Uh, well, you know, London, this, you know, this show, we, we, we try to – uh, uh, raise the, um, the the level of people, and we and it's kind of an inspirational uh, show, and uh, and so we kind of, uh, I want to start by just asking you a little bit, like uh, maybe where you're from, and um, tell us a little about the community that you grew up in. Uh, I'm from South Central LA, and I'm from South Central LA, and uh, born and raised, and uh, in LA, it's just you know, it can be really you know gang infested and so forth. But I just try to make sure I always stay focused and they get caught up in the nonsense and things like that. And um, always involved in the arts. I mean, that was my life. My life was the arts. And the arts saved me, you know, because L.A. is LA is crazy, man, where I grew up, you know. So the arts were able to really just keep me, allow me to stay focused. And then also it allowed me, it, it's, I was able to do a lot of mentoring, which I still do with young people. So... That's kind of my, my that's one big advocate for the arts because the arts really help to give me a focus. Yeah. Wow. That, see, and that's that's the interesting thing when you talked about growing up in that environment. Uh, again, those challenges and and understanding specifically what was happening and how did you feel as a child growing up in that time? What was your you thoughts? Know, yeah. I grew up, man, in the basically in the uh, in the late '80s and '90s. That's where the the whole game 
LA, you know, was the game capital, you know, as far as that sort of thing. And so growing up amongst that, it was important to definitely, you had to figure out, you had to find your way because there wasn't, there, there, there wasn't a lot of options. It was either in game, if you do the game life, that's going to end to jail or dead, something like that. And after that, it's just like trying to figure out what route you're going to, what your profession is going to be. I mean, at the time, it was just doctor, teacher, lawyer, uh, fireman, some of the basics. And so my whole idea was when, as I started teaching and doing a lot of mentoring, I wanted young people to know that there are other, there are other options outside of those those basic five. Then that's all I heard growing up was like the, like I said, the doctor, lawyer, teacher, fireman, policeman. But I wish somebody would have told me, "Hey, uh, hey, man, you could be a DJ. You can be you can be a radio host. You can be a photographer. Uh, those 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 cartoons you like to watch. You can be an animator for those." But I wasn't exposed to that. So now it's important for me to go back to these same areas I grew up in and to let them know, hey, there are some other options, but you got to get focused now because that's what it took for me to make it. And that's why, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, like I said, I didn't grow up in anything, no special school, no special art schools, but it's important for me to let young people know that, hey, if I can survive growing up in this environment, and, and, and work with people like Dwayne Johnson and be on HBO and all these other programs that is also possible possible for them as well if they apply themselves and stay focused. So, it, I mean, L.A. is just, L.A. is it's still rough. You know, it's still rough. So it's, I'm just grateful that you be to have made it because statistically, statistically, we were, I'm not, I shouldn't have made, I shouldn't have lived past 25. So just to just to be an adult and and survive it, I'm grateful for that, man. Wow, this yes, incredible. Yes. All right, next question, Doctor All. Oh yeah, no, no problem at all. And 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 you know what, London, I I can totally uh, testify to what you're saying. Uh, having grown up in in Watts, California, and actually having graduated from uh, Manuarts High School right there off of Vermont in 1984. Um, I, I think that, wow. Uh, anyway, this is an incredible vision. Um, uh, so London, tell us, uh, a little bit about, um, some of the, some of the, uh, I guess important people in your life who were your maybe role models who, uh, you kind of motivated you. Tell me about that. You know, uh, for me, my, my core, uh, I guess inspiration, motivation is I just want to make sure that, uh, I did something with myself, man, because I've seen a lot of people who who did not. And I've, seen, I, I've been in the middle of shootouts, and I've, I've known lots of people who went to jail, who did drugs, because growing up, I used to, uh, my mother used to take, used to allow people to stay with us, and, you know, she would help people out and allow people to stay with us. But also, growing up, uh, I was, I used to cut hair for for rehab centers. So I, early on, my friends were ex-convicts, ex-drug addicts, heroin addicts, prostitutes, and so forth, you name it. Those were, you know, like uncles and aunts growing up very early on, like the age of like seven. 
So I was always used to dealing with, if you, if you will, street people. So as far as my motivation, when I would see people who had, who had lived those kind of lives, that lifestyle, I definitely didn't want that for me. So it was important for me to make sure that I always did things that were very progressive. Along with my mother just keeping me, you know, involved. She prayed for me early on and just that I would stay involved and active in productive things. Um, so when it comes to like inspiration, things like that, I remember always paying attention to, you know, uh, just the different different actors or different people are doing the things I wanted to do. I remember watching Chris Tucker when he went from doing stand up, transitioning into film. Uh, I would watch the the, the uh, Will Smith, but then I watched the I watched the uh, I watched Diddy go from an intern uh, at at the record company then to owning the, the record company, his own label, and then the brands. So there's just different people along the way where. I was able to appreciate, you know, the process, let's say, of a Mike Tyson who who grew up in, in the main streets of Brooklyn and being able to dial in on his focus and his gift and become a world champion. Same thing with Mayweather. People, we can say, whatever you want to say about Mayweather, after all the trash talk and everything is done, we're talking about a guy who doesn't drink, who doesn't smoke, and he's the world champion. And in the day, that's undisputed. We look at Michael Jordan as well, yeah. someone who got who got cut in basketball, and they came back to be the, the legend that he is, Kobe Bryant, and so forth. So for me, I always try to. I'm not interested so much in all the victories, but I'm interested in how I'm interested in the journey of these athletes and these these artists and how they got there, and I use that. Even to this day, in my regular life, I, you know, I'll pull up, uh, I'll watch a, a, a bio pick of someone just to keep myself inspired and focused, man, so that I know that, like, hey, it, it, it doesn't happen overnight. People don't know that I'm, I've gone through several auditions and got heard no, you know what I mean? And then, but, but when there's a yes, then it's a yes. So those things are kind of what I use to help drive me. Wow, this is, that's so powerful, Dr. Hall, because again, it's showing specifically enough that he knows how important role models and people that are doing the right thing and to follow that lead. And that's stories with both of you, uh, London and yourself, Dr. Hall. But Dr. Hall, you dealt with a different situation where a ward of the state where you had to finally meet the right people, make the right decisions, Dr. Hall, to turn yourself around. Yeah, I mean, I think it's totally right. And, you know, in the view that, that, that London, what he's describing is what he's seeing out there as he grows up and his aspirations as, as to what he wants to be uh, when, when he was growing up. And then he, he lays out these specific role models and says, hey, uh, these are the guys that, um, you know, went the same way I did. And then he's saying that, there are different avenues to success, particularly the arts, the creative arts, which he's saying comedy. Um, so there's more than just, uh, you know, having to go through, uh, say, schooling, which you have to go to high school, but I'm saying you've got creative skills, whether even it's in business, entertainment, that you can start uh, flop, start start expressing uh, when right. you're young. So this is a, a wonderful motivational uh, message for our young people. Absolutely, man. I mean, I just, it's, 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 to think about it again, it's like 
people, it, it's, a, it's a lot of discipline. People have to decide how bad do they want what they say they want. And that's why, like, during this whole, like, pandemic, I have a lot, not, not a lot, but I have a few friends that are saying, you know, the usual terms, like, man, I'm bored. I'm, I, I don't know what to do. I haven't used the word bored. I can't, maybe it's just middle school or something. Like, I want, I, I, I want more of my friends to use this time to find the thing that they're supposed to do, whatever the gift is, whatever the passion is, whatever makes them happy. Like, this is a good time to start to, to explore and to tap into that and use this time to be productive. And, and, and because, again, we don't, none of us want to be in this situation. We, we wish that things would kind of would be in the, in the better place and we're hoping that it's, it's pushing towards that. But in the meantime, the reality is for most of us, besides those, those workers that are putting themselves on the line, a great deal of us were at home. We gotta, we gotta really not waste this time and come out of this quarantine. We could be a little, we could be a little, we could pick up more books. We can work out more. We can, we can use this time to figure out ways to, to be inspired within ourselves. Uh, like I, I don't, we don't have time to waste. That's my whole thing with when I talk to young people is that when you use the terms like bored, you're not pushing yourself enough. You're not challenging yourself enough. To, to, to go after because people who are pursuing their dreams like you wake up with a different you wake up with a different energy like the only reason I sleep is so that I can get up and have the energy to do it all over again I can't wait I, I, I can't wait to get up and to go after this dream go after the thing as a as a stand up you know I'm always looking to try to write materials and and, and, and as an actor, I'm looking, I'm, I'm studying all the time, I'm reading, I'm, I'm, I'm watching old scripts, I'm reading old scripts. And I think that people got to know how to really occupy their time because whether it be something big or small, we, can, we should be doing something every day that puts us closer to where we want to be. No, like, absolutely. Like I, and agree, I agree. And the thing is, when we started this pandemic, I, you know, I was really working on certain things, but now I've made it a, 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 an effort to become better at things that I might outsource for my business later on and see if I can learn it too. Because guess what? I will outsource it once things start to pick up and change again. But I want to become as good or even better than the people right. that I have put out and have hired to do things just because I have more time to do it and I'm going to learn it because if you can learn it, you could teach someone else to do it. And I take different go. trainings and different learning experiences and say, man, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to learn graphic design. Now I'm going to use Canva and you know, I've done some little things, but I'm tired of this. I'm going to figure it out. So then when I hire the right person to be that position at one point in time, I'll say, Hey, you know, here's some little secrets. You have some good talent, but I'd like you to go this direction. Let me go and put this design together. Now you make it perfect instead of, Hey, you make this and guess what? It takes five times more times to do it. So the more we learn how to do other things, uh, the better our situation. And this is the time it could be a year. It could be six months. It could be right. two months. We could be back to work. We we're just watching NFL in September and we'll be like, what the heck happened? Or we'll be right. watching NFL in January. So, and, and without an, without fans. So we have with this uncertainty, Dr. Hall, wouldn't you agree with this uncertainty? We need to pull together and learn and develop and become better at the things 
that we do on a regular basis. Mm. Totally agree. I totally agree. And um, again, it's also a time for creativity. You know, I, I, lo- I love it. That's 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 the thing. I'm yeah, trying. exactly. Because I do things, uh, you know, more online and, and, and things through Zoom and those kind of things. And so, but, um, yeah, it's just it's just incredible. The the, the spirit and the humanity that uh, London uh, is obviously expressing is talking about, this is actually what I write about in the book uh, called War to the Court. And um, so it's very exciting to get him on the show. Um, anyway, I wanted to move just a little bit, talk a little about his, uh, what he's doing in entertainment. And actually on the phone right now, I kind of feel like uh, maybe a guy left out of a club because I know that uh, he works uh, opposite uh, The Rock, uh, uh, Dwayne Rock Johnson. And I know that you knew. Uh, yeah, he remembers uh, that. Yeah, he wore my knee pads. Uh, and now that, uh, you've interacted with. Yeah, so, now The Rock uh, and I are hopefully that. are going to get that interview again because I'm promoting for NBC his new show. I've had some of the guests on from that already, some of the commentators, and now uh, I had an Olympian on, so I, I agree. But let my interactions with The Rock were certain ones. But, again, London's story is quite interesting, and I'm just bringing that up uh, because I heard it already. Uh, but tell, tell um, again, tell a little bit to Dr. Hall your interactions with The Rock. You know, Dwayne, the, the are yeah, really, first of all, I think that it's really it's really cool that he's not a guy with with some sort of ego. Like people always ask about how how was the vibes on set, and they were really cool. It was always good energy. First of all, everybody was very professional. Everyone came always came very prepared. But where I'm going with this is that Dwayne, being that he was an executive producer of the show as well as the star of the show. He could have easily come in with an ego, and we, no one, I don't think, would have even felt any type of way because we said he is the number one paid superstar actor in the world. So we, we would have just respected that. But showing up on set every day and him just being a cool, humble guy and just all this good energy, it created a whole temperament on set where everybody was cool. Everyone from the actors all the way down to the people who did craft services uh, to, to the people who were just showing us where to park, to the people who held cords. Everybody had good energy, and that's something that I was able to appreciate from him. Uh, I, I was also able to develop a couple other disciplines of like, I noticed one time we were filming, we had to be on set at, on set at around 6 a.m., and I happened to wake up to go to the bathroom get some water or something, and I noticed that he was in the gym around like four or something. I said, wow, he's, he's in the gym before he gets to set. And I started to do that as my own discipline uh, just to create a focus within myself so that when I'm on set, I'm already I'm, I'm wide awake, I'm ready to work because I started my day off with, with, such a, uh, with such a discipline as working out. So I was able to pick up a couple, a couple of habits like that and uh, and that sort of thing. So Dwayne's, you know, I have nothing to say, nothing negative to say about Dwayne, man. Always good vibe, and I'm, I'm glad I had a chance to work with him. All right. Great. Next question, Dr. Hall, but I had to bring up that uh, story. And again, <laughs> someday, someday again, I will 
meet the rock at one point in time it's amazing what he's done and to know that you i was that close another story if you look at two wwe superstars but also that were not when you met them you know you met him as an independent pro wrestler at memphis tennessee i did and i met randy orton when he was 17 when i was wrestling cowboy bob orton and look at randy today so again two people i've crossed paths with that are great in so many different ways. Randy is just a tremendous WWE athlete and the rock is just everything and between and know that I worked with him. Wow. I never got the chance to wrestle him, but I did work with him, but go ahead, uh, Dr. Hall. Next question. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, no problem at all. No problem at all. Well, uh, well, you know, um, uh, what I was going to say was, uh, what I was gonna, uh, London was, you know, my, my situation coming from inner city, uh, coming from, you know, grew up in Watts, uh, you know, grew up in boys' homes, foster homes, and junior hall, uh, and, you know, trying to make it in this world. Sometimes you get to a point where you just, you know, you don't have anything. You have no money, and you're thinking, man, I'm putting all this effort in, and for what? Uh, right. That's a challenge. Um, have you ever had any particular challenges like that in London that you could share with, with people today who are actually kind of down in, in this time where we're losing jobs and we have this, this kind of steadily disease going across country. Uh, as far as some of my struggles, I think that, well, I can say this. I remember even before I landed on Ballers, that was like, man, that was one of my brokest years, man. And I remember at one point in my town, I had $28. And I was like, man, this is just rough at the time. I was working at after school programs. Wasn't really making hardly any money, but I just, I I still enjoy just working with young people and hopefully being an inspiration to them. So it wasn't even about the money. I, all Everything I owned was in my mother's garage. Uh, I didn't even, I was, just, I was just on the grind. It was just a serious grind. And the encouraging thing that I want people to get from this is that when I booked ballers, I wasn't, I had no agent, I had no representation, no publicist, I had nothing at all, no none of that. So when I found out, word got back to me that they were looking for me, I went into audition and then after that things changed. But the point being is that even even though that was, let's just say that was part of the paper, I was, I'm, I'm now living in Miami on the number one show, working with the number one actor, I'm getting paid. Everything is good. The following year, my, I had a younger brother who was in college who uh, came back to L.A. and uh, he's, well, he, he's he had tryouts for one of the Laker teams here in L.A. Window? That window? Yeah, uh, window. And he was in he was in Washington. He went to some sort of gathering, something. Now, long story short, he was murdered by while at this event. So now. I'm I'm doing I'm working I'm I have the I'm in the best part, best time of my life which is I'm doing the thing that I've been manifesting and I've been working toward which is I'm I'm now I'm a working actor on a hit show but on the very flip side of that coin I lost I, I lose my brother so having to press through those kinds of things I have to make sure that I'm very grounded to something. A lot more solid because otherwise I could have easily taken that loss of my brother and spiraled into a negative direction. But instead, what I decided to do was to use that. Going back to your, your previous question, as far as my motivation and inspiration, I decided to use 
that passing of my brother, it, it, it drove me into a deeper focus. So I said, man, whatever it is I'm going to do, I want to make sure that everything, that I make everything count for something. I'm not just going to, you know, I'm not going to just, even things like something as simple as me cooking. Like on my Instagram, my friends would say, wow, man, you really, when you cook your food, you present it, you do it like a chef. And that's not because I'm trying to be fancy, but I've decided consciously to make sure that everything I do, I try to make it count for something. So when I when I cook, I want it to taste good. I want it to look good. When I, I'm, I'm not only going to work out it's, it's halfway. I'm going to put the discipline. when I get up, and so it that just that drove me to uh, just to be really good and, and be really focused at just about everything I do. And so if people take negative situations and they're able to, to turn them around and use them for the positive, the negatives can actually be used as a strength. And that's what I was able to do with the, the hardships that I went through. Uh, you know, just using them to really say, hey, I'm, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be negative. I'm gonna change my whole right. way of thinking. I'm gonna be more positive, I'm gonna encourage others and I realized that by encouraging others, you know, it, it keeps me encouraged. But also when I do things like, for example, just to make sure that I always keep myself grounded, one way to always keep your heart in check is if you give. So I'm always trying to give, 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 whether that means feeding the homeless people, uh, giving my time to, to juvenile halls. We got to give to make sure we, we never exactly. get selfish. I think that's about us. It's never about us. That, that's not my way of thinking. All right. Can, all right. So, latest awesome. projects, London. Latest projects. Tell us about them. Okay. Uh, one of the latest is I have a, a show that's coming out called uh, American Soul. American Soul is uh, basically the, 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 it's like the, the following of Don Cornelius, who was the host of uh, Soul Trains. And it just kind of goes through. Uh, his lifestyle of the, you know, the, the, the I think late seventies, early eighties, and that sort of thing. And on this show comes out May twenty seventh, and I play the legendary Boozy Collins. Uh, so I'll be playing guitar, totally different from baller, totally different from anything else people are seeing. So that's that's gonna be a that should be a, 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 an experience for people. It's a nice throwback, and like I said, I got the beard, I got the wig, the whole thing. So it's gonna be a that, that's one of the latest, and that, but I am on another series um, that, which I might say for hopefully our next interview. But uh, yeah, I am working on another series at the time, so as we come out of quarantine, uh, hopefully I'm going to I'll return back to that series, uh, filming that series. But as of right now, uh, American Soul is May 27th. What May? It's coming out May 27th on what? American Soul. Um, on BET. BET. Awesome. Fantastic. Yeah, Everyone awesome. needs to check that out for sure. Uh, London <laughs> continues to uh, bring out some amazing stuff. Dr. Hall, summarize London. Oh, sure. No problem. So there we have it. We've got a humble servant who worked his way up uh, by his bootstraps from the uh, tough streets of uh, South Central Los Angeles. His experience tells us that uh, we can use our, our, our pain and we can use uh, challenges in life to make us stronger, help us fly higher, and to help those people who are, are most uh, uh, unfortunate in society. So, so I'm, I'm very, very honored that um, uh, Mr. London Brown came on the show. Thanks a lot, London.
Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you guys, man. Hey, London, appreciate it. Uh, best place to follow you. Where can we go? Instagram, is that London your place? Yeah. Yeah, you guys go to Instagram at Real London Brown, at Real London Brown. And I'm always, you know, always doing something fun over there. But uh, thank you guys for your time. And thank you, Doctor, for your services, man. We appreciate you, man. Thank you, man. All right. Yes, sir. Awesome. Thanks again. Appreciate it, guys. Okay. Thanks, right okay. Bye-bye. All right. That was Dr. Christopher Hall Show, everybody. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Strategic Wealth Strategies Podcast with our host, Alan Porter. Alan, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing great, Neil. Doing great. There's no dirt in my face when I woke up this morning, so I'm doing great. And it's fantastic how, you know, how many people you're helping now. It's It's got to feel great, right? It's just more and more people are seeing that they really have to try another way of investing and and taking care of themselves and being safe. Well, absolutely. Uh, I, you know, as I've told you before, I teach, teach people to think outside the box in conventional financial planning. And that's huge. That's what we need. All right. So today we're, I got more questions for you. Alan, with the stock market, you know, the way it's going, what are your thoughts? Well, first off, I don't give investment advice. Uh, it used to be a registered investment advisor where I had a stock and bond portfolio that, that I would pay the fee, but uh, it, it it creates a conflict of interest in me because I don't like charging people a fee whether I make money or not. But with what's going on in the market today, uh, nobody knows. I mean, you've got the COVID epidemic that just happened. Uh, we've got overstressed stimulus payments uh, going on for uh, years now. It's in billions and billions of dollars. We got wars going out across the, the uh, in the world today. Uh, our inflation's out of control. The price of food and fuel is up, out of, out of control. People live in paycheck to paycheck. And it's just, uh, there's certain things out there that people don't know and they need to know about. 100% they need to know about them, Alan. And it's, it's like, and I'm gonna, before I even get to this next question, you know, it's like all these things go wrong you can't have constant bailouts forever. At one point, things are just going to go extremely out of control. It's like you go to the grocery store or you go and buy food now and you're like the price and you're like, did I just go to like a fancy restaurant? And you see the price if you go to a fast food rest, um, restaurant and you just go purchase a couple items at the grocery store and ends up being what could have fed a family of five, three years ago. It's crazy. I went. Uh, we went to uh, fast food the other day for a sandwich, coke and fries. Twenty bucks for two people. Actually, twenty three dollars. I mean, it's crazy. That could have fed a family of four for lunch, which is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. yeah, a couple of years ago. So think about that in so many ways. That what that's the power of entrepreneurship, like businesses like Alan and I, is the fact that we can, can continue to grow, and that's why investing is such an important thing. So if you are an employee of somebody. This is why you have to think out of the box because you're not going to be able to just create what Alan and I can create every day, which is helping others and continue to grow by working hard and working smart. But the average everyday person that isn't going to get a big raise really has to think about how they're saving their money and how they're investing it. And this is what you teach. What do you think people need to become? Um, what do you think people need to become aware of when planning for retirement? Well, first off, you need to understand risk. Are you conservative? Are you moderate? Are you risky? Now, understand this. You may be young and you can, you can endure risk, but when you get older, you cannot have risk in your retirement because you can be wiped out overnight. 
you know, I tell people, I said, listen, I'm never going to make you rich, but I'll make sure that you have income to last for life. I don't care if you run out of assets. I can show you how to have income for the rest of your life. Uh, it's just things that people don't know. They need to understand. And uh, But being, being risky in retirement, it's bad thinking. You may have millions and millions of dollars, but you can lose those millions and millions of dollars overnight. What do you think is the best retirement vehicle, Alan? Well, we've all got our opinion, but in my opinion and the opinion of advisors that are properly educated, insurance companies have the best tax code approved, tax-free retirement system available today, bar none, and provides many of the guarantees that eliminate risk in retirement that a stock portfolio can't. I mean, it's, uh, as an example, some of the, well, what I'm talking about, you know, we're talking about risk, risk in retirement, such as the number one risk in retirement is running out of money before you run out of life. And uh, it's just uh, things like that, longevity risk. There's other, there's so many risks in retirement that people don't understand and they need to be told about, educated on it so they, so they can avoid it. But, uh, the stock portfolio, we've been inundated by the propaganda of Wall Street that a 401k is the only way to go. But people need to understand, Neil, it's the, in a 401k, a 1% fee in a 30-year period will reduce your income by one-third. And the average fee in a 401k is 2.99%. People are going to have less than half their money in retirement. And retirement, a stock portfolio cannot protect you from risk in, in retirement. In fact, it exaggerates the risk of retirement. So true. Alan, you just mentioned benefits. What are you talking about? Well, like I said, um, the number one, we can eliminate the number one fear in retirement, running out of money before you run out of life. That's the number one fear. Longevity risk, which is a risk multiplier. We can eliminate tax risk and government risk, which is absolutely huge, Neil. You know, people don't understand. This is congratul excuse me. This is a congressional budget office report last fall on a thirty-one trillion dollar deficit. If we don't raise taxes overall by sixty-six percent by the year twenty thirty, the country will not be able to pay the interest on the debt. The country will default. And right now, our debt is at thirty-two point nine trillion dollars, and that's less than a year later. It's out of control. But you know, another risk in retirement: sequence of returns risk. And I find that the hundreds of clients that I have. Their financial planner never told them about sequence returns risk. And people need to be educated on this because it will decimate your retirement. You'll be out of money probably in the seventh or eighth year if you have a loss in the market in the first few years of the market when you go to retire. Because you're taking a distribution out of that retirement. And when you start taking and you have losses in there in the first couple of years of retirement, you have to take a larger distribution out each year. Well, your stock portfolio can't maintain that because you're not putting any more in. You're taking money out at a larger distribution rate, and you're going to run out of money. And people aren't told this. And I'm talking people 65 to 70 years old. I just talked to a guy yesterday, 72 years old. His stock, I mean, his financial advisor never told him about it. And I asked him, I said, well, why do you think that is? He said, well, I'm not sure. I said, well, maybe one of the things is he gets paid a fee on your portfolio where you make money or not, correct? He says, yeah, I see what you're saying. But there's many things in, in retirement that, People don't understand. And I've got doctors that have PhDs in accounting and finance that have no idea of anything I say about, about what I'm, I, I teach. It, 
It ought to be taught in high school, but it's not. And, and, uh, and it's because if that was taught in high school, some of these financial planners would make the kind of money they're making, right? Right. But the thing is, you know, I can show people how to, how to eliminate the risk of taxation of Social Security and the means that's in Medicare Part B, which will be in the thousands per year. Eliminate probate, which is a, if people don't know what it is, it's a lawsuit that's initiated by you that you're going to pay for. Because I don't know, people, most people remember Prince the Entertainer that passed away a few years ago. Mm -hmm. He had no planning, no exit plan when he died. And now the government's put his estate into probate. His beneficiary is going to get maybe 15 to 20% of that estate because the government's going to take control of those assets, sell those assets to pay the taxes on the estate. And what's really criminal about this, attorneys are going to get 6 to 12% of that estate. So you've got to have planning to take care of this. Uh, other things, you know, these, these products that I have grow tax deferred. You have tax redistribution. There's no required minimum distribution if properly structured. Now, the only stock portfolio that can do something even with one or two benefits, it's got to be a Roth. You've got to turn, you either have to have a Roth or, or pay the tax and turn a stock portfolio into a Roth or a qualified plan into a Roth. Now, if you do that, you don't have require, any required minimum distribution. And I've got people who are 65 years of age and they had no idea what that is. And it used to be at seven and a half, but because of the new SECURE Act that took effect, I think a year and a half ago, it's 72 now. But if you do not take the money, amount of money the government tells you to take out, Neil, it's a 50% penalty plus all the taxes. And people in the higher tax bracket, they're going to have less than 5% of their money by the time they pay federal and state tax and that 50% penalty. But they don't know about it. The other thing is it does not, again, like I said, it does not affect taxation of Social Security or the means testing for Medicare Part B. But that's where it ends because they can't guarantee you that you're not going to run out of money. They can guarantee you one thing. You're going to lose money when the stock market goes down and you're going to pay a fee to that financial advisor, whether you make money or not, if you have somebody else manage your assets. So basically what you're saying is the stock portfolio does not give any type of guarantee. Not unless it's structured as a Roth. I mean, yeah, like I said, the guarantee is you're going to lose, but it does not eliminate risk in retirement. And people need to become absolutely educated on this. And, you know, the biggest thing is we talk about employees and people working is, hey, you know, they, they there's a I get a 401k and they really don't they might contribute to that 401k monthly right out of their paycheck. And then there's a match and they're like all excited and, you know, and I get an extra amount of this. But what you're very concerned about, if that's the only way people are planning for retirement is a 401k. Uh, so why, why are they just using that for the retirement and not thinking about anything else, Alan? Because they've, they've been brainwashed, I'm, I think, because from Wall Street uh, telling that, okay, we've, we've got this, we can set you up, you have a tech, you get so, such a return, like, like Dave Ramsey says, it's like 11 point whatever return, which is bogus, uh, buy term and invest the difference. Uh, that, that, that doesn't work. First off, people are going to buy term, and, but they're not going to invest the difference. And companies don't give pensions anymore. There's only 19% of the people in the United States that have a pension, 3% from outside companies, but 16% are from the government. And a pension is guaranteed income. But the thing is, I think a 401k took place in 1973, and the corporation saw, thought, saw it as a, an escape from providing pensions. And they're going to take all the responsibility and put on, on the individual to pick out his stock and bond portfolio, whether it is. 
Now they have managers in there that make a fee for this, but the average person has no idea what he's investing in. And I asked people, I said, why are you, why are you investing in a 401k? And they said, well, it's a tax deduction. I said, no, it's not. It's a tax compounder. Do you think the government is stupid? Do you think the government wants you to pay taxes on the small part, the seed? Or do you want to think the government wants to pay taxes on the harvest where they control how much you're going to pay back? That's the truth. I mean, people understand. And I said, you know, uh, it grows tax deferred, but it's tax compounded. Now, there's only, there's only, uh, well, I, I just went over the benefits and everything, cash value life insurance. But I tell people, how would you like a, a financial vehicle where you can take progressive, excuse me, eliminate the uh, progressive tax system, provide you with, turn taxable money into never taxable money, provide you with tax, non-taxable money in income or in retirement and before, protect you from the uh, expense of long-term care. And this is very important, Neil, tax-free long-term care tax-free for pennies on the dollar because people don't understand long-term care right now costs between 50 to $200,000 a year and goes up by 6% every year. And 70% of Americans are going to need long-term care at some point in their life. 40% of Americans between the age of 18 and 64 are on long-term care right now. And long-term care can wipe you out because Medicare does not pay for long-term care. Medicaid does. And there's a thing called Medicaid spend down. Now, say your spouse is the one in long-term care, you may have $2 million in a, in a portfolio. Well, the government's going to seize those assets to pay for long-term care. And if they're in there for any amount of time, those assets are going to be gone. And the surviving spouse is going to be left with one car, one house, and approximately $137,000. I mean, people just need, need to become aware of what's going on, because, but they're not. And nobody's telling them this. All right. One that's another, I guess, scam in so many ways is that, you know, and we think about it, Alan, because we're living longer. We can do a lot more things than retirement before, right? When retirement before meant, okay, I'm going to go to an older folks home. I might go and party till five and, you know, and go to nap, nap at seven. Well, people are living longer and they're, they want to do a lot more fun things than that, right, Alan? Like, remember our father's. And how they were, right? When they were older, they, they really didn't have a huge lifestyle after retirement, right? At a certain point, it kind of got slow for a lot of people still living that way. But if you're going to continue to think you can live off of something like Social Security, this is a really bad thing, Alan, because you're going to go from maybe upper middle class to a pretty well-life life to poverty, to living a poverty lifestyle. I hear this sometimes from older people and I'm like frustrated. I said, guys, you can create your own wealth, but people need to start planning in their thirties or twenties to think about this because social security is going to do nothing except make you poor. Yeah. Well, and social security, Neil, it's a huge problem right now because I think it was enacted in 35, first paid out in 1942. You couldn't, you could not uh, get social security until age 65. At that time, Life expectancy was 62. Now life expectancy for a man is 65. For a woman is eight, or excuse me, 85. For a woman is 87. Longer if you're married, but you can access Social Security at 62 now. And before there were 42 or 44 workers for one individual. Now there's three workers for one individual. And in seven more years, there's only going to be two workers for one individual. And it's scheduled to run out of money, I believe, in 2033. But it it can be fixed. They they can fix that. 
Uh, and it's a pretty simple fix, but the, the wealthy are not going to like it. But because I don't think you have to pay taxes on Social Security after uh, an income of $170,000, I think. But if they have Social Security for taxes from all, all uh, income levels, that, that problem will be fixed. But people need to think outside the box of conventional financial planning. I have a team of people that I work with, top CPAs, tax-specific attorneys, and other specialists in the fields, and we collaborate to come up with solutions for people's financial problems. And I treat my, I, you know, I treat my business like a doctor. It's process-driven, not product-driven. I ask question after question, and if those questions aren't answered, and I come up with some feasibility study or some financial plan, Neil, it'll be malpractice on my part. But I teach people to think outside the box. I show them how to reduce or eliminate and possibly eliminate both debt and taxes and set them up with a tax-free retirement and also show them how to become their own financial institution or bank to where they don't ever have to go out and borrow money from a bank. They borrow from themselves in their cash value life insurance policies and pay themselves back compound interest and not the financial institutions. And when I show people how to do this, they are completely amazed. Why has nobody ever told me this before? Alan, what do you propose for people to do in these trying times? Well, you need to take control of your assets to find out, you know, of course, of what, how old you are, but you need to take control of your assets and seek advice from people. Uh, you can always call me at 910-551-1046 or my email is strategicwealth, the number zero at gmail.com. I've got several books uh, that I've written. I've got several books that I can recommend. I've got videos, not not just by me, but by several people, third party, uh, uh, third party individuals that educate people on things like this. Tony Robbins is one of them. Uh, I mean, I got a 60 minute interview from ABC on another, and the list goes on and on. Ed Slot, the top, uh, the top retirement uh, CPA in America, and these are all videos by them, and they tell them the same thing that I tell people. But people just need to become educated. All right. Well, again, you contact again, strategic wealth, the number zero at gmail.com or 910-551-1046. Alan, great show again. Awesome stuff. You're killing it everywhere. You're the guru. We look forward to talking to you next week. Well, I appreciate it, Neil. Have a great day. All right. That was the Strategic Wealth Strategy Podcast, guys. Take care. Yeah. And I think starting my first company when I did, I, you know, I started to learn all different parts of the business. I had to learn the finance and the accounting and the legal and the sales process and starting a website and all these things. And it's like, I could figure most of those out, but PR seemed like one thing again, it seemed like this secret, like black box or something that I couldn't understand. I didn't know. Um, it seemed kind of like a luxury, like a nice service to have, but I didn't have the connections. You know, I didn't know people that many people work in the media. The media seemed to go so fast too. And um, it was just nothing in the space is, is really connected. So um, as much as I knew how to do a sales pitch, um, which is kind of similar, I just didn't understand who the contacts were and how to go about the process. It seemed kind of like scary and uninviting. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. And welcome to Women CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones, and I'm joined by my co-host, Neil Haley. Today's guest is Michelle Songi. She's the CEO and founder of Press Hook. 
Michelle experienced uh, as a as a first time founder, just how difficult it was for a startup to access the media in a meaningful way. She couldn't afford a full service agency on her bootstrap budget and found the process of personal outreach time consuming, yielding no worthwhile results. After selling her company, she traveled abroad to consider her next move. It was during this time and talking to local businesses that Michelle realized just how many small business, small companies lacked access to the media. That's when she founded Presshook, a media relations network that connects journalists and brands to create newsworthy stories. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you so much. That was a great introduction. <laughs> well, hey, you're a great person. You have a great story. Um, so, wow, you know, I, I was reading a, about your story and reading kind of your background and what you said, like, just resonates so much with so many people, like the media, when you think about the media, it just seems like this far-fetched, untouchable place that most people can't get to, you know? And when I started publishing my, I published my memoir in 2019, I was like, I know nothing about how to meet, how to get into the media. How do I get people to know who I am? How do I promote myself? And um, it's really, you know, any effort that you do put to it comes up empty, right? Like for the average person, it just literally comes up empty. So you nailed that, um, you know, what you, you know, and in finding or identifying the problem, right? That existed for so many people. Um, and then you kind of turn that around for yourself. So tell me a little bit about what made you say, well, I'm going to fix it. <laughs> I'm going to fix it and help other people do it. Yeah. And I think starting my first company, when I did, I, you know, I started to learn all different parts of the business. I had to learn the finance and the accounting and the legal and the sales process and starting a website and all these things. And it's like, I could figure most of those out, but PR seemed like one thing. Again, it seemed like this secret, like black box or something that I couldn't understand. I didn't know. Um, it seemed kind of like a luxury, like a nice service to have, but I didn't have the connections, you know, I didn't know people that many people work in the media, the media seemed to go so fast too. And um, it was just nothing in the space is, is really connected. So um, as much as I knew how to do a sales pitch, uh, which is kind of similar, I just didn't understand who the contacts were and how to go about the process. It seemed kind of like scary and uninviting. Um, and the options really were, you know, you can hire a good agency, which is great to have if you have the uh, financial ability to do so. Um, but a lot of times your investors will say, like, just figure it out on your own and try to get your own press. And you're like, how do I do that? <laughs> so um, so I, I really was, I spent a lot of time just researching. Like, I thought there was something out there I was missing that could help me. And after years, you know, I didn't find anything uh, I wanted to. And the tools that were out there were kind of more for pros and people that, you know, maybe did this every day, had a bunch of clients, um, and it was also expensive tools in the market. So there was no real like entry point. There was nothing that was very accessible um, for my needs. So I decided to build it instead. And and you actually sold your first company to American Express, right? Yes, I did. How did how did you manage that? So not only did you get into the media, then you sold your first business to a major corporation. Yeah, and it was actually my first business when we started getting some media like traction finally, and I started kind of like learning the ropes of how to get some PR for us. Um, at the same time, we were getting acquired, which I think in some ways helped. Like they saw we had good press and buzz happening about us. 
Um, but also I had to go through a long acquisition process. Um, and then I had a two-year earnout where I worked with them for two years um, on the integration of the acquisition. And uh, so this was kind of like my creative outlet during that time because I was going back into corporate America. I'd been there before. I left for reasons. And this was really just my creative outlet. Yeah, it was something I researched and work on kind of on the side until I could finally leave and decide that I wanted to go forth and do this full time. So when you started to to when you started press hook, you said you you know you did it on the side. It was you know your side hustle right until it became a business. Who did you reach out to to get clients? Um, because you probably had a non compete with the company you sold to, right? So how did you find your first clients? Um, yes, I. Yeah, but the non-compete can be different because I'm not selling to like a bank or something similar. It was a very different technology, what I was doing. And I wasn't, it was more, it wasn't like fully running. It was more just like kind of like the research um, beta kind of phase. Like I wasn't charging anything for it. I was just trying to figure out what I was building, kind of like get the research. So I was good at one time. I knew how to do sales. Like, so I could go and get like brands and businesses. And I was talking to different startups saying, you know, this is what I was thinking of. This is what I'm trying to build. I'm trying to test it out. Would you be willing to work with us? Um, and a lot of them took risks. We're like, yeah, hell yeah. We'll, we'll try something with you if it gets us like, you know, press and helps us get in touch with the media. Um, and then the thing I didn't have was like the media connections. Um, so I, I did finally meet someone that was a publicist that kind of helped me. I kind of watched them really and said like, can I just see what you do every day? and understood the process. Um, and then we started collectively reaching out to some journalists to get their opinion and say like, what do you think of this? Like it was a demo product. And we got really good feedback, astonishingly. Um, so we're like, okay, like this seems like, you know, we're on a good path, so let's keep going. So Neil is the media expert. Yeah, and that's here. what that's what I wanted <laughs> to jump in. Specialized. I have to I have to wake I up now. I have in. to wake up as as it's no. My brain was percolating and I was coming. Don't worry, Marisa. So <laughs> basically, a lot. I mean, I've done over ten thousand shows. The number eleven celebrity podcast, world according feed spot. So I've always had PR reaching out to me to come on my show. Right, different publicists, different things, and then also trying to find celebrities. I've used Harrow. What makes you guys different than Harrow? There you go. I love that you know what Hero is. Um, when I saw Hero, I was surprised. I was like, okay, this is what exists out there. It's basically a listserv, you know, so journalists can write in what they're looking for, specifically like an expert or source for their story. Any kind of brand sees it, it's free to use. Um, they get back hundreds or thousands of replies. A lot are not relevant. Um, but on our system, it's like a digital automated Hero. They can type in exactly what they're looking for and just find it. So if they're looking That's for great. a product or an expert, they just see those results and we use AI to even like personalize and show the most relevant results for them in the system. And they identify and they can just message that expert or that brand automatically and see all their, uh, you can see a description, uh, their certifications, you can see product imagery. So it's mm -hmm. like a, it's a digital press kit on the, on the brand. You charge the journalist or you do you no, charge? It's free for no. media. Okay, you got to tell me to get on as quick as possible, you know. I know, I'll... we have some podcasts, definitely. <laughs> now it you're going to recruit more... him. It started with more digital publications, but now we definitely have more like newsletters and podcasts and other types of media. Who is coming through like, so publicists are reaching out with their specific clients for different things. So you started more publications and now you're going into the radio, TV and podcasting, it sounds like. Yeah, 
I think it's just naturally like by word of mouth and I guess our marketing campaigns, what what's come in. Um, we started off, yeah, just signing up brands directly and then the media. And then we've expanded now. We have um, about like a hundred agencies that use us too and different like marketing, PR, all sorts of agencies. And then like expanded to other kinds of media that kind of happened organically. Like there's a lot of freelancers now that used to work directly for publications and they have their own, you know, podcasts, newsletters, like different outlets. They're, they're pitching something in some sort of way. And what Harrow does, and I'm able to get in Harrow because my, whatever, it's not Alexa, it's something else. I have to do it through my TV show because of a local TV show in Pittsburgh. They don't look at the other terrestrial stations. It's kind of goofy. They're very, I think that you can continue to grow this because you're about giving opportunities. So like if there were celebrity publicists pitching a client, to specifically uh, some sort of, uh, you know, that they were representing in the PR. I think it's good in some ways for them to have to pay at times because it's a platform versus everything being free on both sides with Harrow. So yeah. I, so is that the challenge of getting people and I'm looking at the business model more to get them to pay the publicists and stuff? Because I know it's the people that don't yes. charge. You don't yes. charge. We ask the, the businesses and agencies to pay. Because they're getting promotion, they're getting access to this media, they're getting opportunities coming to them. They're not even having to pitch sometimes some of them. So oh, it works wow. in a way that the media can come, can just like search and go straight to them. Or we do have a nice like kind of new next level uh, source request feature where they type in a request. And again, we like automatically show them suggestions. And then it only takes that request and goes out to the relevant businesses. Okay. So, so it, you're the like, a, you're like, there on like there, okay. there's too Sorry. many irrelevant pitches the media got. And we wanted to make it more relevant quality. It seems like it's a lot more user-friendly. Let's just give you an example. If you right. buy contact any celebrity, if I was just thinking the celebrity side of things, just if we were kind of doing it in comparison, it's kind of cap comparing apples and oranges, but content at getting celebrity or IMDb Pro, where yeah, you're getting these contacts, but there's no real way to communicate with them. So you have to reach out. So this is a situation where if you're a publicist, you literally have contacts to all the media. So your goal is to get lots more media and then also get more clients that are PR firms and freelancers that might represent somebody, right? So that, that you can hit the goals, get them, get them publications and different things. So what do you think is the bigger challenge? Um, to get the, to get the to get more more uh publications to sign up, or it's probably the same, or or to get more publicists and agencies to join um the journalists can be harder to get to actually just get their attention at first it's true. Like once they get it and they use it then they are active and, and like it and come on i think it's just explaining to them what it is because it is it's it's like a network you know it's almost like linkedin they come on you have profiles you, have, you can connect to one another you can message one another so i think once we get through to them they they get it um Publicists seem to understand it a bit easier. Um, they have to pay, but it's like a low monthly fee and we charge per client. So um, hopefully it doesn't, you know, it's not like breaking the bank for them. Um, if they can but get yeah, them it's a little different if something's free versus think of, not. Think about sending that email blast out, right? Think about all those reach outs. If you're able to go and get your clients publications and opportunities that quickly, it's a win-win because, you know, spending a couple bucks versus you know, versus spending hours as a publicist, you're really figuring out a way to decrease that amount of time. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's like having a junior like publicist on your account. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. I'll let you go back. So, Sorry about that. <laughs> so I have like a million questions, but um, that's okay. So, uh, 
you know, somebody who's listening obviously needed to hear that. So um, that's the way I think about it. And so, so as you're growing your business, it sounds like you, you know, you said you're growing organically and you're growing your business. Um, what are you doing to make sure that you right, have the right team around you? And, you know, because as an entrepreneur, you tend to want to do everything yourself, right? So what do you do to make sure that you maintain that balance, that you get the right people in, in place that support you, that you can trust? Because it sounds like you're growing very quickly, right? But also maintain your vision in the process. Yeah. 